If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. The second you start thinking that you're more advanced or your culture has more or whatnot, you really limit how much you're able to pick up and learn in this lifetime. How does looking at advancement in a linear way, you know, looking at countries as underdeveloped, developing and developed, how might this limit our abilities to learn with an open mind in this world and to experience life to the fullest? Why is supporting sustainable tourism so important to support sustainable development and also the conservation of vital ecosystems like our rainforests? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To receive weekly highlights from the podcast that can hopefully provide you with another dose of inspiration, you can subscribe for free at greendreamer.com. With that, to thank you for being here, you'll also automatically be entered to win our monthly giveaways. And for now, to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the co-founder of Local Travel, that's local with a K, uh, which is a marketplace for booking local, sustainable adventures around the world. They carefully select each experience on their site to make sure that it provides an amazing travel experience for travelers and also meaningfully benefits the local communities where these experiences take place. In addition to this, our guest is also an award-winning filmmaker and photographer who's photographed Beyonce and Obama, spent years documenting Lebanon refugee camps and who's danced for 107 hours in a full-body Scarlet Macau costume to raise awareness about rainforest conservation. Green Dreamer is starting with what inspired his global awareness and passion for the environment. Here's Markle Bollinger. Like anything, I think it's part of my upbringing. Uh, I've often thought about what has inspired to me to be kind of like a global citizen and, and care, you know, because, you know, I eventually would like to instill that in my kids and other people I mentor, you know, but it's it's the little things, you know, 
I grew up in Venice and Santa Monica here in California, and there was an organization called Heal the Bay that was super active when I was in elementary school, and they were having you know all of us kids do beach cleanups, and I think they're super responsible for how clean and how much our Santa Monica Bay, you know, the beaches of Los Angeles have, have cleaned up. And, and it happened not by educating adults, but by educating children who then kind of forced their parents to like, you know, not dump oil <laughs> in the in the driveway. You know, kids all knew that anything you threw in the street ended up in the ocean. I mean, that went on to other moments in my life. A big one was uh, when I was like 24, I, I was you know, hosting a Latino wannabe MTV station that got bought by Telemundo. Um, it was, I was a VJ and, and, you know, introducing music videos that all went south. And I ended up just kind of like leaving the job, selling my beat up BMW and going on the road in South America, uh, with very little money. And during, during this trip, on my way to Machu Picchu, I got stuck in a tiny little town called Ollantaytambo. I didn't have the money to really get on the train. I was trying to like, you know, fib my way into getting on the train as a local, which was a lot cheaper. And I got stuck there without anywhere to stay. Everything was booked and rescued by this little old local man. Uh, just such a beautiful soul. And I ended up sleeping on this like little cot underneath their drying laundry. This experience with this family was a revelation to me, you know, that I, as a 24-year-old fresh out of college, I was probably making a lot more money than the entire family put together. There were subsistence farmers. Yet I started to realize, you know, day after day that in many ways they lived a better life than I did. You know, they ate healthier food. They were super connected to their roots and their heritage and their family. They were happy, you know. And it's really stuck with me that you know, money was not the answer to happiness and purpose and living a good life and being healthy. And, and it really kind of opened up a lifelong journey, really, to explore other cultures and learn from the ancient wisdom of indigenous people. And, and you know, people, especially rural people, man, have so much wisdom, how to like heal through plants and, and, and different things like that that humans have been using for millennia. I think all of that combined just made me realize that we're super connected to this earth. And there's, there's a lot more out there to be learned if you're willing to listen and explore things that make you feel uncomfortable or different or, you know, open your mind to other cultures. Well, going back to what you talked about in regards to realizing what happiness looks like, uh, what do you think this says about our modern ways of looking at development and looking at like developing countries, for example, as maybe being behind? Like, what does this tell us about these labels and categorizations? You know, that's a super interesting question. I think I've been trying to answer a lot of that myself for, for the last many years, especially having this uh, social enterprise is trying to support local communities through travel. <sighs> How do I answer this the best? <laughs> All right. So, I mean, look, this is this is a bit of a personal thing, right? Um, I have come to learn through my various, you know, I make I make documentaries as well as run this company. I've been working on a project around refugee kids dealing with trauma through music and art. And I've really just, you know, in all of these experiences, I've learned that I think the greatest human qualities are really 
resiliency and selflessness because the core of them is purpose, right? And almost one of like the illnesses that we have as a Western society, as a developed world or whatnot, is the fact that I think we we are often missing this kind of this kind of purpose that helps us find our day-to-day north, you know, and lead us to what we want to do, how we want to live our lives, what we want to put in our bodies, all these things, you know. This has been what ancient cultures have defined themselves by for so long. If you look at indigenous cultures all over the world, I mean, they have so much in common with each other in their respect for nature, their, their um, looking at our planet as almost a deity of sorts, you know, a mother. I think sometimes we forget that in, in that regard, because we've forgotten or been so removed from a lot of that ancient knowledge, we might be behind, you know, that's not to say that I don't believe that our technological leaps forward aren't amazing. You know, I've I've started a technology company that's using storytelling and tech to connect travelers to local communities around the world. So you can have these great experiences plus, you know, positive impact, but there's real value in all of it. it. The second you start thinking that, you're more advanced or your culture has more or whatnot, you really limit how much you're able to pick up and learn in this lifetime. I hope that answered your question because it's kind of an existential one to me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely has to marinate a little bit. But yeah, I feel like it's really just recognizing that we have so much to learn from each other and opening our minds to learn from people who I, I honestly hate using the words developed country and developing country just because I feel like there's so much we can learn from each other. But yeah, I feel like just maintaining an open mind can really enrich our lives. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I realized after heading to the Middle East, you know, I, I'm, I'm of Peruvian descent. I speak zero Arabic. I'd never been to the Middle East. And yet I ended up on the ground living in a refugee camp there. And um the day that I kind of found my first big character was uh, a really intense day. I met these two little girls who had this really deep story. One of them had been buried alive in a rocket attack and she had stopped communicating with people. You know, she had stopped talking and she eventually found her physical metaphoric voice through music. She ended up becoming the lead singer in her refugee choir. And that day, her and her best friend ended up singing for me a cappella just in the camp. And it was so powerful. And I almost didn't understand why at first. Um, But later that day, there was a car accident and I had some kind of EMT experience. I ended up immobilizing a woman who I thought may have broken her neck in the middle of a street. And it was, I mean, I was completely overwhelmed. Seriously, I, I, it's one of the few moments in my life where I was starting to feel a panic attack. I was surrounded by 200 refugee men who I couldn't communicate with, who wanted to move her because there were, you know, 30 trucks in every direction backed up on this dirt road. And in a moment, I closed my eyes and, and just tried to breathe to calm myself down. And what came back to me were those two little girls singing. Mm. And I realized that music to them and their singing was their safe place. When they sang, it transported them 
out of the camp, out of the intensity, out of the, you know, the whole situation, the life they had lost in Syria and took them to a place where they were able to be calm and happy and kids again. That memory and that, you know, kind of recalling what had happened earlier that day completely calmed me down and, and, and allowed me to deal with the situation. I ended up getting some support and, and, and the situation ended up fine, thankfully. But that is the kind of magic that ancient cultures and even children and it, it comes from who we are as humans. It's deep inside of us. It's knowledge that we have that sometimes we're not quiet enough in our quest to make a living and start a career. We kind of don't realize how how important these lessons are. And I've, I've really found that people who have gone through strife or struggle or whatnot have had to kind of really understand what is meaningful in life and and how they want to live their life and develop tools and skills to kind of really, as I mentioned before, uh, be resilient and, and, and get back up. And these kinds of learnings that you have when you travel and you visit other cultures, other communities and put yourself in situations where you might be a bit uncomfortable, that, that's really where the true life learning happens. I have chills listening to you talk about this. So you weren't always in the ecotourism and social impact space. What what were you doing in your professional life that led you to these things? I was a photographer doing fashion, celebrity advertising photography. I started here in Los Angeles and eventually uh, had stints in Tokyo and New York. I adore and adored what I did working with these incredibly talented and creative teams to really create art. But at the end of the day, I was often selling products I didn't really believe in. Um, the world doesn't need another $300 pair of jeans, um, <laughs> especially given the, the environmental impact of both dying and washing denim. And I was, I was really struggling with that. I, I was doing a lot of pro bono work. I always tried to set aside as close to 20% of my time as I could working with NGOs. And those started becoming the projects I got the most excited about. You know, I worked with a, a program here in Los, Los Angeles that was run by ex-convicts in Watts, providing safe passage for junior high students to get to school because they had realized basically junior high was the prime recruiting age for gangs and a lot of kids were missing school because they were just terrified to get to school. And you had all these ex-convicts who were trying to find a better life and, and wanted to be involved in the, in the community. And so they would stand out on the street corners radiating from schools several blocks and just provide safe passage for these kids. I was so inspired by that and a couple other projects that I did that I eventually moved into doing a documentary passion project with a friend of mine. This was supposed to be a 10-minute short documentary that we crowdfunded. That's a crazy story. But it turned into being on the ground for five months instead of two months. And uh, four years later, we've just finished the film. It's now 48 minutes. It'll be coming out on iTunes and other platforms in November. And it really led to our, our tourism social enterprise, local travel, local with a K. But uh, the film was really about the impacts of tourism in Costa Rica and how that was affecting local communities. In the same year that National Geographic had announced or named the Osa Peninsula, this tiny peninsula in South West South Pacific Costa Rica, 
They named it the most biologically intense place on Earth. It has two and a half percent of the Earth's biodiversity on less than a millionth of the Earth's surface. I mean, it's just a magical place. The Costa Rican government announced plans to build an international airport there in the same year. And so we went down to essentially kind of compare what had happened in the north when they had done an international airport 20 years before, see what had happened to the locals and the environment, and then kind of look at what could happen in the OSA. It turned out that the situation was far more complex than we ever realized, as kind of I've learned is the norm with making a documentary. It began kind of five years ago, an entire shift in my career. It totally changed my life and has led me to found, uh, along with a couple co-founders, some really talented guys uh, that came out of the organization Kiva.org. They're the largest microfinance nonprofit in the world. They've kind of figured out a way to bank the unbankable <laughs> uh, <laughs> and provide loans. They make it possible essentially for you to loan, let's say a woman in Nepal, 200 bucks to start her business. And they have something like a 98 or 99% repayment rate, which is unheard of, you know, That's uh, like better than here, right? <laughs> No, literally, there's there's nothing, there's no investment you could make other than that that has that kind of uh, safety. And they've done it by working with local communities, right? They go into a community and they say, all right, we'll, we'll offer your whole community loans, but it's the community's job to ensure that everybody repays these loans. If anybody who gets a loan in the community defaults, then the entire community loses access to, to loans. And, and this kind of putting it on the community itself to police themselves in terms of repayment has been incredibly effective. And, and we basically took that same model into tourism. Kiva is very much a storytelling platform plus technology booking and financial transaction platform. Uh, local travel is the same, except that instead of you sending money as loans, you are paying for your tourism experiences, whether that's trekking into the rainforest with you know, a local family and their kids or a cooking class with a local grandmother, getting to visit deeper into a place in a way that you never would without the help of locals. It's a beautiful way to travel. It's the way I've always traveled myself. And it was kind of a revelation that there was so much product and so many communities out there offering this that simply didn't know how to reach travelers, right? So their, their businesses were failing. So what are some issues with modern day traveling that you guys wanted to address with local travel? Yeah. So in making the film, we learned, I mean, a lot of these facts I didn't know before and, and they floored me. So the UN released some statistics that the global average is that less than 5% of what travelers spend actually makes it to local communities. Wow. And really, every negative impact of tourism comes out of that fact, right? Whether it's the marginalization of the people, you know, by keeping them outside of the tourism economy, the money going everywhere else, meaning it's not going to local economic development or social development, schools. Uh, the best stewards of a place are definitely the local people. They're the ones invested in what that place is going to look like for their children, you know, what their schools are going to be able to provide for their family. There's also a lot of economic pressures that are totally outside of tourism, too. 
in the Osei in particular, um, there, there's a huge issue around African palm fruit um, and, and palm oil production. This is happening all over the world. Uh, I, my statistic could be a bit off here, but I believe the Indonesian archipelago, you know, the 10,000 islands, are the third largest rainforest in the world. And I think almost 50% of it has been converted to palm oil. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, it's insane. And it's kind of a modern day form of slavery, you know, where it's a 20 to 25 year lease on the farmland. Um, The only reason a farmer would enter into this is because they literally have been beat down so hard on prices of their, you know, other produce or, or whatever they can produce that they aren't able to survive. And this locks in a 20 year payment. But the problem is that although you can live off that for the first five years, as prices rise and inflation happens uh, by year 10, 15 and 20, that starts to become less livable, as well as once you plant African palm, you basically can't ever plant anything again, it kind of becomes a, a weird desert, you know, and these are these are rainforests, right? So we're com- converting one of our, you know, biggest safety mechanisms towards, uh, you know, global climate change and, and whatnot into deserts, essentially. You know, no animals are going to live there. Nothing else is going to grow there. The palms are super tall and take up all the light. So really, when you walk around these places, you know, what used to be rainforest is now dirt and rock. Um, Doesn't sound like a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the idea of community tourism and, and this kind of travel is that, you know, offering these local communities another income, right? We never recommend that these communities rely solely on tourism because that can change. You know, we've seen natural disasters happen and, and, and slow tourism down in different places. But it's a great tourism is such a great thing because it's the lowest impact way of monetizing a rainforest or a forest or a natural place, right? It's it's not extraction. And a lot of the communities we work with uh, in Costa Rica and in Latin America, we've seen hunters turn to birding and wildlife tracker and guides for tourism, right? Where suddenly they've realized that the value of that wild boar in their forest is worth you know, thousands of dollars in tourism money as opposed to the 50 bucks or 100 bucks in meat. And uh, there's been an incredible re-education of these people through an economic development model. And, and you see, I mean, communities all over the place really going from an extractive model, you know, whether they were logging trees or hunting or, you know, even cutting down forest for livestock and, and African palm, moving towards they want to keep their forests and they, they, they grew up in these places. They're not excited about cutting things down, but they're they need a way to survive. And this is a great model opportunity. And, and, and it offers an amazing experience for travelers. So that's, that's really why we decided to move into this when we realized that these communities have a great product to offer, but they don't fit Airbnb because they, you know, don't often speak English. They certainly aren't super internet savvy. And sometimes they don't even have an email address. Sometimes they don't even have a bank account. So how do you make someone like that bookable online? That was a two-year process in solving. And it wasn't uh, really until 
we met our co-founders, Dave and Paul, who came from Kiva. They brought this model of working with communities. They had seen uh, while they were working in Southeast Asia with Kiva that for the last 15 years, all these massive NGOs, Conservation International, uh, the Peace Corps, uh, USAID had pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into community tourism, seeing it as a development model. But being NGOs, they never thought of the last like five, 10 percent, which is go to market. You know, how how do you connect product to to customers and get that you know product market fit? So that's really what we do. Right. We, we use storytelling to build trust and expose and, and, and raise awareness about the value of this kind of travel. And we use technology to make it possible for these local communities via like WhatsApp. Right. Every grandmother in Latin America has, you know, a grandson somewhere far away and they've learned how to use WhatsApp. So, you know, they can text a one for, yeah, that's great. I'm available or a two. No, I'm not. And so we've used innovations like that that we saw happening in India and, and other places in Southeast Asia as a way to work with these kind of off the grid communities uh, here in Latin America. That's so beautiful. You mentioned earlier that only 5% of our traveling investments or tourism actually go to local communities. And that really shocked me. Like, I'm still thinking about that. That feels so low. What can we do as mindful travelers wanting to support local communities and help preserve local ecosystems? What can we do or what can we look out for when we're booking our trips to ensure that more of our traveling investments go towards local communities? There's always a lot of things you can do. I think what we have focused on is if you can ensure that some of the money you're spending on your trip is actually spent with locally owned businesses, that's a huge win, right? I mean, the bar is set really low, right? Like we can all do better than 5% of our entire trip's budget making it to locals, right? So, I mean, even if you're going to a resort, get out of the resort and go to a restaurant. Honestly, you'll probably eat better. <laughs> if there's some, you know, mama or grandmother, you know, cooking in the back, it can be tough. That's that's really why we started our company too, right? Because there's a lot of greenwashing out there. There's there's a lot of companies that have realized that travelers are looking for ways to. It might not be the number one priority, but certainly a priority in there is to not have a negative footprint on this gorgeous, wonderful place you're visiting. I think doing a little bit of research and getting getting your hands dirty before your trip on like, where can I go once I feel safe once I'm on the ground, right? Like most people will book their first couple of nights at least at a hotel or something in country. I always tell people, leave a little space in your in your vacation in your trip for the unknown because that's where all the magic happens anyway you know someone you meet someone who says oh you have to go to this place it's amazing i was just there and it was it was absolutely incredible but you know again really i would i would get back to spend money with locals you know one thing i always do is i i buy a lot of little knickknacks and presents for people back home it's always so much cheaper you know with guatemala i was just in nepal I bought a ton of stuff and rather than, you know, in Nepal, you're supposed to negotiate, right? It's part of the culture, uh, you know, whatever price they give you, they're expecting you to bring them down a bit. But I end up, instead of negotiating the price down for one piece, negotiating what I get up, right? So they want $5 for a bracelet. Maybe I can get four for $10, 
this kind of thing. I think that ensuring that some of the money you're out there spending is not just going to the airlines and the all-inclusive hotels, the other big international companies is, is critical to ensuring you have kind of a positive footprint. And the last thing I want to touch on is sometimes I feel torn about traveling because on the one hand, I know that traveling for me personally has been really life-changing. It's really opened my mind. And I feel like it's something that can really inspire more harmony and connection in our world. But on the other hand, if not done mindfully, it can cause environmental destruction and aggravate like social issues locally and the issue of like carbon emissions. So knowing that traveling is still on the rise, how do you think we can best use this to foster a more harmonious world and a more sustainable planet? Well, shameless plug, everything that you book with local travel, we guarantee that every community tourism experience, 80% of what you spend goes to that local community. So there's one bit. And there are other organizations and companies out there that can help with that. The reason I mention that is that, in my opinion, the greatest degradation that happens to a community in a place tends to stem from land speculation. I know that sounds kind of weird and not super tied to travel, but this is what we saw happen in northern Costa Rica when they built that airport, you know, all of these communities, this was this was a ranching and farming community. The second there was an airport and access there, people started showing up from all over the world, US, Europe, whatnot, with suitcases of 50 grand to buy a whole farm, right? Mm -hmm. And five years later, that farm is worth $5 million. And, and that family that is Costa Rican and, and tied to that land has kind of been disappropriated from their heritage and their land. And, and, and in some ways, I don't want to say robbed, but someone knew what that value was going to be and that local didn't, right? Spending your money with locals, doing community tourism, doing rural tourism, getting out of the cities, you know, ecotourism. There's a lot of great organizations that even if they're not locally owned, really do right by the locals. And, and you can, with a little research, find them. One of the most powerful things that it, is that it helps locals stay on their land. And, and locals are really not going to develop the way a resort is going to develop. You know, communities are going to build 10 to 15 cabinas, not a 200 room massive resort that has, you know, sewage floods every rainy season or something like that. Right. So for me, it is critical for us through tourism to find ways to empower locals to be the stewards of their of, of their land and of their communities and, and give them the power to decide how that's going to develop because that usually leads to slow development and every destructive practice I see comes out of rapid, fast development that is an injection of massive capital by very large land speculators, essentially. To bring it back to kind of what we as individual travelers can do, get out of that big machine international company travel industry. Or if you're going to use it, make sure that you're also spending some of your money outside of that. Because 
we have the power and we are also the responsible ones. You know, we have the money to travel. We're lucky. We're fortunate. And with that kind of fortune comes some responsibility to to do the right thing, to educate ourselves, to ensure that our money is actually providing a better life for the local people that we're visiting, that is protecting the place that we're going to see so that hopefully when our children go to visit it, it's still an amazing place. One of the things I just, you know, it's my passion is just local cultures. Northern Costa Rica, you go there and major swaths of it feel like Orange County. You know, it's really, it's like Americans, it's dated, you know, gated communities. It's even the locals are dressing in Stussy and Quicksilver and people are serving hamburgers at every restaurant. And it's just, it sucks to me. It's still a gorgeous place. And it's, it's not that it's not worth going to, but it's really lost this cultural richness that it used to have. The OSA is really kind of our baby as a company. We're obviously working all over the world, but this place means so much to us. And we want to ensure that the birthplace of ecotourism, the most biologically intense place on Earth, that is such a life-changing experience to go visit, remains like that. Well, I really hope to visit one day and hopefully I'll get to do so through your marketplace. And with that, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? Well, we continue to grow local. We, we are a startup social enterprise, so we're still a bit of a baby company, but we're growing. So that's that's exciting. I'm also launching a travel show on YouTube that explores community tourism all around the world. We've just shot in Costa Rica with, uh, with a celebrity we brought down to kind of experience it for the first time in her life. And she just, it blew her mind. We went out in Nepal and shot there. Uh, I'm going to Mexico City next week. And we're going to be shooting with uh, some some partners we have in Mexico City that do these awesome floating garden tours that are working with local farmers in just outside Mexico City to try to rebuild the aquifer. Mexico City is one of the um, 13 or something cities around the world that's got a water crisis. I believe they will be out of water for several months of the year by 2040. So being able to be a part of a project just by traveling to a place that is trying to protect and, and, and you know, re- rebuild something that used to be there. I mean, I, I didn't even know, by the way, Mexico City, Tenochtitlan, uh, was basically the Venice of the Americas. As a city of the Aztecs, it was completely wasn't roads. It was on on rafts and boats. There's still a little piece of that left in Mexico City that you can go visit. You can go eat on a farm and and see what they produce, you know, organically and and, uh, how they're trying to protect what's left of that. And where can we go to stay updated on your trips and projects and follow you online? localtravel.com local with a k is our platform and you can find links to everything there our social media handles are local travels with an s and we will be launching this travel show on on youtube called the local stories but again if you just go to localtravel.com you'll be able to join the movement we've just launched our explorers program so if you're one of those people that likes to visit off the beaten path places uh, you can really help communities that 
you know, don't really have reviews and, and, and whatnot by uh, helping other travelers explore and feel comfortable with, with the experience they offer. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. And I hope everyone out there invite you to, you know, travel the world with us, get, get involved, meet these communities and uh, start finding, you know, more and more meaning in your life through your adventures. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to give you a quick update regarding the 2019 Green Dreamer planners that are coming to you soon because more and more people have been asking about it. And so first of all, I'm just so grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Um, they're currently being printed. And to be honest, I'm a little nervous because it's the first time I'm doing this. So I am very much learning as I go, currently finalizing the website, details, all that jazz. The exciting thing is, though, after doing a lot of research, I found a fulfillment partner here in the United States that prioritizes sustainability across their operations. So I feel good knowing that the planners will be in great hands. I also finally put up a page on our website where you can learn more about the planner and also get the first peek at all six of the cover designs that you'll be able to choose from. So if and only if you plan better having a physical planner and if it'd be helpful to you to have uh, environmental awareness days featured in it, along with goal setting guides, gratitude lists, extra bullet journal pages, you can learn more and sign up for updates at greendreamer.com slash planners. Super excited to see what you think though, so I will definitely keep you posted on additional updates. For now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? A great impact uh, social media channel I follow is the Impact Travel Alliance, uh, the ITA. They're one of the organizations we partner with to just kind of ensure that we're doing things right. I love everything they're doing. They do this great summit in uh well, they were doing it in New York. I think the next one is going to be in Toronto. They always share such inspiring stories and imagery and, and ways for us to all be aware of our impact when we travel. And I just love everything they do. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? That there's a lot I don't know. <laughs> I constantly remind myself, you know, to that there's so much still to learn and that there's so many wonderful people out there that I want to meet and learn from. Because I think, you know, in our day to day, sometimes we just meet people that, you know, <laughs> bum us out. So <laughs> it's important to remember that, you know, if you look for them, there's really champions and heroes out there and it's worth uh, staying connected to them. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? I do a lot of yoga and meditation, and I also play water polo. I used to play a lot of other sports, but I hurt my knee, and, and uh, this is the one I can still do. But really, the, the, the breathing and meditation of yoga have helped me overcome so many things and, and helped me also just remain connected to what's important in my life, you know, taking that moment to be quiet and, and be with yourself. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? <laughs> this sounds funny, but I, I travel with so much equipment. I'm actually trying to travel with a lot less and a lighter kit so that my impact, I have to fly wherever I go. I'm trying to fly with less weight. I'm also helping my parents start a compost, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, 
I think it's the the little things, you know, I'm also trying to use less plastic, you know, I carry around my, my little shopping bags and I'm trying to not use straws. Everything's relative though, right? Like trying to do everything at 100% is virtually impossible. But if you keep it front of mind, I think that's what you, you know, we can all do is, is just try to adhere to the things we already believe in that are so easy to step away from. What makes you most hopeful for a planet at the moment? I really love kids. Um, I think they're just magical and wise in their own way. You know, I'm involved in a couple different mentorship programs, and, and I see just some magical youth that's so inspiring and connected in ways that put us adults to shame. And I think it's really that next generation that I hope to continue to be a part of fostering that keeps me hopeful for the future. Mm-hmm. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Love and hate are equally contagious. Be part of the love and fun spreading. Be a part of the love and fun spreading. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 95 for episode 95. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Jane. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.